Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. All right, all right. You guys know what time it is, right? We're doing it again. Good morning. Welcome, all of you Cafe Bitcoiners. Good morning, Dom Bay. Good morning, Aunt Peter, Jacob, Rustin, and all of you awesome folks out there. How y'all doing? Grumble, grumble. What up, y'all? Good morning, Alex. morning brother so the way this has been working out is we get Don Bay for about the first 45 minutes to an hour and then he goes surfing like clockwork every day he drops me a DM he's like this has been cool I'm hitting the surf bro <laughs> yeah hey you called it today and dude special day today my buddy's getting me on the marine base at Pendleton so I'm surfing a very special treat uh, yesterday though I did not surf I was in attendance in full the wife's like why aren't you surfing i'm like oh, i'm part of the cafe bitcoin crew now and also i beat waldo to the space and she's like have a great day <laughs> she's probably like okay cool how much are you getting paid for that bro <laughs> she's probably like yeah today my husband told me he beat waldo to a space uh, everything is well fantastic <laughs> All right. Welcome to Cafe Bitcoin, episode 404. Our mission for this show is to provide the signal in a sea of noise, teach the other 7 billion people on this planet why there is hope because of this bright orange future that we call Bitcoin. Today, we are going to be discussing WorldCoin. <laughs> I can't even say that without laughing. It's so ridiculous. Yellen's had some comments on the Fitch downgrade that I, she thinks it's maybe a little unfair. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. There's some updates on the Bitcoin ETF, as well as maybe we'll hit some Q&A today if we've got some time to do that. Later in the second hour of the show, we've got Jason Meyer coming up. He's the author of A Progressive Case for Bitcoin. And uh, very interesting guy. He'll be joining us to talk about his new book and uh, why he wrote it, etc. All right, let's dig in. So WorldCoin says it will allow companies, governments, etc., to use its ID system. Oh what? my gosh. How can that be? No. Exactly. Like this is sh a shocking development. I know this is tough to tough to you know believe, but it's happening. Isn't that a rug pull? Didn't they say they weren't going to do that? 
It's pretty creepy. Have you seen these? I've seen pictures of them. I saw this picture of apparently the government of Kenya like halted it cold. And then there was a picture of uh, like this guy holding the orb and people are like looking into it. It's just so damn creepy. Michelle Weekly, who's down in the audience, um, held one. Really? Michelle, throwing you an invite. You should come up here and share your experience. <laughs> All right. So. The general manager for Europe at Tools for Humanity uh, says, we are on this mission of building the biggest financial and identity community that can. It's very strange. Michelle, good morning. Good morning, guys. It is unfortunately true. I did hold one at the Mining Disrupt Conference uh, in Miami last week. I did not let it scan my eyeball. Um, so they were not enough. I don't if you I'll just give you like the quick rundown of what happened at the conference because there's been a lot of tweets about it. But they were not an official sponsor of Mining Disrupt. A lot of people were upset online that the conference would have let them sponsor, but they didn't. They just kind of squatted. They came in at the end of day two and they were only there for a couple hours. I was actually sitting listening to a panel and people started texting me, hey, is it true that WorldCoin is there? Can you go find them? So I looked at some of the pictures and went and found they were like squatting at um, QCoin's booth. And the guy who I posted some pictures of him, he's super, he looks exactly how you would think that he would look. He left the orb sitting there and went to like wander around. So a bunch of us were picking it up, looking at it, taking pictures, and everyone was really disappointed that it didn't get smashed, but it all happened really quick. He was only there for about an hour. And so, you know, we didn't know, like, was he standing by watching? I mean, as great as it would be to smash the thing, I think it would have been smashed if he'd been there for two full days, but it all happened really quick in about an hour. Um, so I held it. It's super creepy. He was super creepy. A couple people talked to him. He seemed to genuinely believe all the things that they were saying, which is disappointing, but not surprising. I'm a little surprised, honestly, that nobody made off with that thing. <laughs> that would be not that I'm encouraging anybody to steal anything. I just yeah. think it's it would be funny. You know what I mean? Like, right. yeah, I'm surprised you're not something... seeing videos of people showing up, you know, like you have people that have like. The cool new thing is to have like, you know, a, a cool setup with your office or whatever. Like you'd right. have your fucking orb in the back yeah, <laughs> overlooking true. your situation. I think it would have happened if it had if we had had a little more time. Everyone was just so genuinely confused. Like, wait, is he really here? Is this real? And then he was gone. Um, so if we had had just like a little bit more time to be like, wow, yes, he's really here. He's not standing by watching. He's just dumb enough to have left this thing sitting there um because when we, even when we were holding it we were kind of looking around like are we going to get in trouble for playing around with this thing you know um it, it, it was really strange <laughs> do you do you just cross the street when there's no traffic and the walk walk and the don't walk light is on or do you like stop i mean why didn't no, you just, I just cross it? the street i know but we still like follow the laws here in florida we just don't go around smashing things like in some of the other cities 
You I mean, I'm not saying anybody. It. Should... You just had to drop it. It would have been simple. Oops. I yeah, know. Like how, like how sturdy is it? I, I'm not saying anybody should break anything, but like, what if you were holding it and then like, you know, you got frightened momentarily and you were like, <laughs> like, you know, you threw it up in the air. Like how high do you think you'd have to be? You know, it didn't seem that sturdy. And after the fact, someone online suggested a really strong magnet. So keep a magnet with you. Mm. And that's how we can destroy the orbs. <laughs> you know, when uh, when you first started telling this story, I was I was kind of uh, picturing in my mind. You remember that scene in Lord of the Rings where Gandalf puts his hand on the on the uh, what do you think? What is that thing called? The orb. And then he's then that 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 eye of Sauron like flashes into his mind. I was gosh. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little worried that they like have my fingerprints or something. Now, people were like, you took the angle that you took the picture at. It was probably scanning you. I turned it. It was off and I turned it on and then back off before I touched it, hoping that it was really off. But who knows? That was it right there, I bet. Okay, here's the thing. As creepy as it is, like I think we all acknowledge it's pretty damn creepy, right? Corey dropped something in our team Slack the other day. He wanted to point something out that if we are to believe what they're saying is true, they're not actually collecting biometric data. So apparently the explanation for what they're doing is that they use entropy from the iris and ZK proofs to know whether you've been previously verified or not. And then they generate a unique ID for you based upon this. Uh, so if that's true, then so be it. But it's still really weird. And the and the part that trips me out a little bit is, is have you seen the pictures of lines of people like lining up to get their iris scanned? It's just so bizarre. It's really disappointing, to be honest, to see those lines. People are not so saying, stupid. People are very stupid. And I'm not saying that they're doing this, but I mean, y'all can do a quick search. I mean, you can hire people to stand in lines. Uh, you know, people do it all the time in corporate situations. So, oh, that's fair. Yeah. Just letting you know for pictures and press releases and stuff. All the crisis actors, right? Did you guys see that video of like the, um, the women in Ukraine picking up the rubble from the bombed school or hospital or whatever the hell it was. Okay. If you didn't see it, it's pretty funny. Like they're, they're, yeah, there's there's these pieces of concrete that look like they're probably weigh, you know, somewhere between 60 and 80 pounds. And they're picking it up with like one hand, like it weighs like a pound. It's obviously like styrofoam. So I don't know. Crisis actor stuff. Anyway, okay, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, apparently, Janet Yellen, uh, Secretary Treasury, uh, Secretary of the Treasury, United States Treasury, disagrees with uh, Fitch's downgrade. I'm glad Foss is up here so we can talk about this a little bit, but we have the clip. Jacob, if you're ready, let's play it. Overall annual inflation has declined every month for the past year, and our economy continues to grow. In the longer term, the United States remains the world's largest, most dynamic, and most innovative economy, with the strongest financial system in the world. 
Fitch's decision is puzzling in light of the economic strength we see in the United States. I strongly disagree with Fitch's decision, and I believe it is entirely unwarranted. Do you think that she was picked to be the Fed chair and then the Secretary of Treasury based solely on her voice? I don't know. Do you, uh, let's dig into this a little bit. I mean, it's completely unwarranted. The United States economy is strong. What do you think, Greg? Good morning. Hi, guys. Uh, good morning. Um, obviously, she hasn't run the math. Um, when you have $1 trillion in annual interest expense and you only have $4 trillion in revenues, after you subtract out the entitlements and military spending, you need to issue debt to pay the interest expense. It's that simple, Miss Yellen. Okay? It has nothing to do with the strength of the economy. It has everything to do with the amount of debt you have accumulated over the last 50 years. And you are now in a debt spiral where it is impossible to escape that spiral without printing money. If you don't understand that, Grandma, you should not be in that chair. Now, I understand it's your duty to disagree with a downgrade, but to pretend that you don't understand why you are being downgraded is actually very dangerous for our children. I repeat, you are being downgraded because if you were a corporate equivalent credit, you're less than one turn of EBITDA to interest expense would put you as a triple C zombie credit. So you are not even a double A credit. You are actually closer to triple B or even lower. Those are the facts. That is the mathematics. I'm not sure what Joe Colasari disagreed with me yesterday, but the reason I'm here is for 40 minutes. Um, I'm, I'm open to debate with, uh, with Joe. That being said, you cannot disagree with mathematics. It is 100% certain the USA is in a debt spiral. And when you're in a debt spiral, any credit rating agency with a shred of integrity or backbone downgrades you. It's about 10 years late and about three notches too little. But it's the trend, as I said yesterday. Over to you, Alex. Yeah. Thanks for the, the input there. I mean, it's just, it's mind blowing to me that we're seeing this kind of thing denied. Uh, I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, like that's her job, et cetera, but it's just the, the fiscal mismanagement of the United States of America has been pretty clear for a while now. I mean, the Pentagon has not been able to apparently get a clean audit for over a decade. The U S national debt, is now 32, 32, excuse me, 0.677 trillion dollars with a T. The debt per citizen is $97,492 per person. The debt per taxpayer is $253,686 per taxpayer. And this doesn't even count essentially what's known as unfunded liabilities of the United States of America. These, these are things like Medicare and 
Medicaid and Social Security, et cetera. That's an even scarier number coming in at over 192 trillion with a T. And so it's pretty mind boggling the fact that there's so many people who are basically out there saying um, these credit ratings don't matter. Any country that prints its own money can't default on its own debt, yada, yada, yada. Uh, I don't think anybody believes that. Like John Har pointed out yesterday that a, a very good, he made a very good point, And that was, if that is true, if, you know, countries that print their own monies cannot default on their debt, then why the hell do we have credit rating agencies in the first place? What's the point of a credit rating if that's not true? So it's just a very bizarre mentality. But Alex, people, countries that can print default on their debt all the time. Argentina, Venezuela. Well, yeah. I mean, it's clear. It's clearly untrue, right? I mean, that's the entire point. Like you have this, you have this group of people apparently who are the MMT people. These are the people who believe that, you know, as long as you own the money printer, you can basically print ad, fin- ad infinitum, and there are no negative consequences to doing so. I okay, mean, well, they're fools. They're fools. We know they're fools. They have proven that they're fools. The bigger thing is when the smart money starts, like Bill Ackman. I'm not saying he's smart money, but he certainly has a big, uh, you know, he carries a big stick in the markets. He is shorting 30-year treasury bonds. Now, is he shorting the bonds because of inflation concerns? Or is he shorting the 30-year treasury bond because of credit risk concerns? Either way, yields go higher and bond prices go lower. The key thing is when the market figures out that bonds don't just have to compensate you for inflation, but they also have to compensate you for credit risk, guess what? The U.S. Treasury is no longer the risk-free asset of the world. Bitcoin is. So... Bitcoin replaces U.S. Treasuries as the global reserve asset, not reserve currency. I need to be clear. Bitcoin replaces U.S. Treasuries as the global reserve asset. Because why? Because U.S. Treasuries are no longer credit risk free. I need people to understand the difference between inflation concerns and credit concerns. Maybe study junk bonds for a while. Maybe understand how credit spreads are made and compensated for the risk of default by a borrower. Not the certainty, but just the risk. And this is why so many people are so lost, deers in the headlights when it comes to bonds. So, yeah, I'm sorry, people. MMTers failed grade 11 math. Miss Yellen probably passed grade 11 math, but she's too scared to actually admit the debt spiral metrics that the USA is in. Because 200 trillion of unfunded liabilities means what? You're never getting that money, people. United States, please, if you're counting on the Medicare and Medicaid capacity of the US government to fund $200 trillion when they can't even fund $32 trillion, I, I, yeah, I don't know what else big, to say. There's big structural problems on the horizon and there's demographic issues that are involved in this as well. Like I was just talking to a client of mine the other day who is um, selling a home and it's like, there's these situations occurring now where you've got, you've got 
a couple of different scenarios. Like one scenario is someone, you know, maybe they own property uh, and they're doing okay. Then there's other people who are reaching their sort of senior years, don't own property. They're relying on social security, social security, Medicaid. And it's like, it's questionable at this point, how long that's going to go on, how long that's going to last. I'm try- not trying to scare anybody. I'm just pointing out that this is the reality. And uh, the other part of that is, is there's a lot of people who are nearing retirement age or are in retirement age who have a tremendous amount of their net worth wrapped up in their property. But here's the problem with that is that if they need to sell that in order to extract the, um, the capital from that property, who are they going to sell it to? You know, these, these generations of kids growing up now, like they're looking at these properties that are, you know, 750,000, a million plus, And they're like, I'll never be able to buy that. Unless you own Bitcoin, unless you own Bitcoin, I'll never be able to buy that dot, dot, dot. Unless I, yeah, unless you own Bitcoin, Bitcoin. but the reality is like, what's the percentage of the population that owns Bitcoin? What's the percentage of these young kids who are stacking Bitcoin right now? Pretty small. I'm, I'm, you know, I think I'm probably the younger one of the three of us up here talking right now, but um, I'll say like my friends who are by no means financially stable are still buying houses, you know, like they're still taking out mortgages at high rates and they think they're going to be able to, you know, get a lower rate in the future. Um, and that's just kind of the, the mindset right now. So, I mean, kids are still doing stupid shit, buying you know, overpriced houses. With well, well, wicked. Let's be careful. Rates. Who, who, who's doing the stupid shit? The kid that can give the keys back to the bank and has basically a put option on the value of the property, or is it the bank that's doing the stupid stuff? Let's be. And, clear. and are they taking? Are they taking out arms or or uh, or or fixed mortgages? Who knows? It doesn't matter. Did you know that in in Canada, mortgages are recourse. In the United States, mortgages are not recourse, non-recourse. You guys are so lucky. What's the difference between a recourse mortgage and a non-recourse mortgage? In Canada, if you take out a mortgage and the value of your house goes down and it's less than the value of your mortgage and you decide to default on your mortgage, you still owe it. As a, as a, uh, a debtor, Greg Foss is still liable. In the United States, you guys are friggin' lucky. You guys, the value of your house goes down. You just take the keys to the bank and you say, here you go, Mr. Bank. You were the most silly lender in the world lending me, basically writing me a put option. You sold me a put option on the value of property. And if the property goes down, I give you the keys back. And there's no recourse to to, uh, Greg Foss, uh, USA citizen. Other than the down payment and the the mortgage payment. That's nothing. That's the price of an option. You guys got to understand, if you don't take advantage of that because you have stupid lenders in the United States, then you're probably more foolish than the bank. But listen, Wicked, I love you because you love Bitcoin. I'm not arguing where to get your hard asset exposure, but real estate is a better hard asset than bonds are. That's simple. Full stop. That's how it works. So maybe your friends aren't, aren't that stupid. But listen, hey, Terrence, are you going to get Joe Colasari up here? If not, I'm going to step down and we'll arrange a little debate at some other time. I don't need to uh, get more aggravated than I otherwise do. Um, I love Joe. He said I said some things yesterday that uh, that were uh, factually incorrect. I need to learn what I said that was factually incorrect. Um, 
hopefully it was just the Actually, way. Actually, hey, 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 hey. Uh, he wasn't saying something that you said was incorrect. He said he said to me in a DM, you know, some of the information that's being shared in the last 15 minutes is incorrect. So it doesn't mean it was directed but at you. Alex, I don't even well, know. Because I was the only yeah. one talking for the last 15 minutes. I'm no, kidding, no, 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 no. Chuckle, chuckle, no, no. chuckle, chuckle. No, no. Um, anyway, something he did send me this morning. He's not here, by the way. So he's not in the room. Um, he's not in the audience. He must be busy today. However, something he did send to me this morning that maybe we can get a comment on is, is he's he sent me a tweet where he's like 15 basis points to go until the lid breaks off. And he's showing a chart of uh, the 10-year yield on the on u.s government bonds and his comment here is, breaks off it's, it's been here before it's at year-to-date highs but the the lid doesn't break off it can go to six percent it can go to eight percent yields not because of inflation because of credit concerns like bill ackman may have lids don't break off this is only math this is no buyers at a yield that represents a subpar return because of credit risk. This is not a lid breaking off. This is a paradigm shift where people realize the U.S. Treasury actually is a risky credit, and therefore you need to be paid more yield to hold that risky credit. QBT or whatever uh, a, a lawyer would say, LTC, lick my hoop, whatever they want. That's my, uh, that, that's my little thing. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, you I don't know what you had in your coffee this morning, but you are extra ornery. It's like extra ornery, Greg, well, which is surprising because Greg's usually triple espresso. Dom Bay, what do you got, man? Yeah, hey, just on some of the systemic stuff, you know where I'm going to go uh, straight to pension land for just a brief one. But I read uh, this morning uh, the second pension bailout I've seen in the U.S. in the last couple months, this will not make mainstream news. These are in like little gazette papers. Uh, Pittsburgh, just a small one, little $250 million uh, bailout from the Pension Benefit Guaranteed Corporation. Um, for those that don't know, the American Rescue Act, when they were firing up the printers, they front-loaded a huge amount of money but actually, it's not that big when you look at the liabilities. It was like $54 billion or something, um, uh, anticipating basically struggling pensions that they were like, okay, COVID's coming. Now these are going to bail for sure. So these, the, 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 the last one a couple months ago was out of Pennsylvania. That was for a billion. And these are not even making front page news. This is just like business as usual, um, whereas, you know, in the past, these would be massive headlines and, and uh, you know, cause a lot of uh, uh, hysteria. Uh, I posted the latest article, but again, just, you know, nothing, no, no big deal. Just a little 250 million, little, but, little Dom, The Pension Benefit Guaranteed Corp has been bankrupt for about 20 years, okay? There's no money there, okay? So that's all good. It's just another acronym to pretend the Fiat Ponzi has some backstops. There is no backstop to the Pension Guarantee Corp. If you look at what assets they actually hold, they're done. They need to be backstopped by the ultimate backstop, which is the money printer. But, um, okay, look, I, I, I want to make sure that people understand that I'm not calling out Joe Colasari. He and I actually had a great conversation a number of times. One on the Blue Collar uh, podcast. Those are the firefighters from Chicago. Two great guys that run a podcast. Joe and I got on there and talked stuff about bonds a long time ago when yields were much lower. 
But especially with Dom and Elliot Johnson, my friend who runs a Bitcoin spot ETF in Canada, uh, we were on Dom Bay's excellent program with Joe Colasari. You guys need to understand something. I talk like a guy that's been in a, a, a jungle, also called the trading floor for 30 years. And I apologize for that. I am not calling out Joe as a lawyer that's trying to comment on bonds. I'm calling out Joe that we have good discussions. I like to learn stuff and I look forward to our next discussion. I'm stepping down. Um, apologies to everybody who thinks that I uh, bring a little bit too sharp a tongue to this stage. I can't stand it anymore, people. This is absolute disgraceful acts by the politicians and people in the highest levels of government and uh, uh, other bureaucratic spots all over the world. And we will not put up with this any longer without our voices being heard. I got to step down. Thanks for having me, Alex. I'll talk to you guys whenever. You bet. Thanks for hanging out, Greg. By the way, I don't think there's any need to apologize. I, I like your approach, and I think a lot of other people do too. You know, it's about time people are direct and spoke the truth. Nothing wrong with it. Terrence, you have something? Uh, yes. So, agree with everything that was said. I just add that I've, um, other countries are, in general, are even worse than the U.S. So, none of these sovereign bonds and maybe no corporations or banks, but none of these sovereign bonds should be rated AAA uh, by Fitch or anyone else. They all suck, especially compared to Bitcoin, but also because they went off the gold standard, so they're backed by nothing, and they just print. Their, their incentive is to, regardless of party, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat, they're all the same. All they do is spend, ta um, not tax enough, because that's why we have this massive deficit. They do tax a lot, but they spend even more and they have massive debt and massive deficits and they're just going to keep printing. That's why the bond yields are going up, like Joe said, uh, like uh, Greg said. I do think part of it is also um, people are overly bullish now on the U.S. economy and think that we're going to have a soft landing. So nobody thinks we're going to do money printing. So everything's good. So that that's the reason why money's leaving safe haven assets, quote unquote, safe haven assets from U.S. government bonds to stocks and things like that. Did I lose the room? I, I stopped talking. No, Terrence just dropped a dime, and, and everyone's just kind of like, whoa, hold on. Let me think about that. Terrence, anyone going to the uh, Swan Salon uh, tonight with uh, the CEO of Riot? Uh, yes, we have some good folks from Riot coming, as well as some private clients. Um, and um, hopefully some of them will bring, like last time, Someone brought a stack chain towel, uh, who Peter knows, um, and from Twitter. And yeah, we, we should have a good group. We should have a good group. But John Cheneau, Alexandra, who recently joined us in marketing, myself will be there. And Sam Callahan will be interviewing Jason Les, the Riot CEO. So these are one of the many perks of being a swan 
private client, if you want to be one, contact Alex, Stephen, or just, you know, DM any of us. Terrence, I'll be there too, and I'll be interviewing you. Oh, nice. (laughs) Awesome. Speaking of Sam, did you guys see the uh, tweet he put out about the KMPG report? About how they said Bitcoin is necessary or helpful for the environment or something? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just invited a monster. Let's see if we can get him. Yeah, Peter, what was up with that report? Um, basically, uh, KMPG came out and said that um, Bitcoin is um it's an esg asset i'm I'm just going to read the tweet it says bitcoin can reduce emissions through uh, use of renewable energy demand response recycled heat methane reduction bitcoin can benefit society and it goes on i mean it's it's actually it's actually pretty impressive that um that they've come out and and said this and it's not like kmpg isn't a uh a small, you know, it's, it's not like they're small. They're they're one of the they're one of the big accounting firms in this country, so or probably in the world. It's a big deal, I think, and oh. I'm glad Sam found it. And then when I saw it, I was I was like looking, I was going, God, what, what, what does he do? I mean, does he just like scour? Uh, is he like a bot that just like crawls the web and finds these things? Because because this guy finds this stuff all the time. I read the full report. It's a 12-page report. It sounds like you have it, Peter. Um, But yeah, it was really shocking. I mean, they're not saying anything that we haven't all been saying for years, that Bitcoin can bank the unbanked, um, mining can be positive for the environment, all of these things. But it is shocking to see the narrative change. And if you ask me, I think BlackRock probably commissioned the report. But regardless of who paid for it, I'm happy to see it. Yeah, hopefully, um, you know, I mean, everyone knew, I think, that, you know, all the attacks on the environmental side were, uh, you know, where they were coming from and extremely inaccurate and biased. Um, And so, uh, and I see see Lisa in the audience, uh, a a very big energy proponent um, and super knowledgeable in the space, but hopefully people will start seeing Bitcoin as the incredible partner that it is in all forms of energy. Um, You know, I've been talking about this. I've been trying to talk to some of the contacts in the California state legislature, letting them know like, Hey, you guys talk a big game about lofty renewable goals. Bitcoin will do more for renewable energy than California can dream of. And uh, that telling them they need to get on board because it's going to be, laughable when looking at you know what bitcoin does for energy compared to the you know california which talks a lot of talk and will throw a lot of money away and still invest huge amounts into fossil fuel and big oil and and then and then kind of like shrug off bitcoin 
I had a conversation with a friend of mine who lives in uh, Bozeman, Montana, yesterday for about an hour and a half. She knew nothing about Bitcoin. She's an insurance salesperson. And there is a person in Bozeman who is trying to create a uh, set up a business that sells uh, Bitcoin miners that are also uh, heaters, you know, space heater, the space heater Bitcoin miner thing. And she, she wants to become um, a person that sells that. She cannot get insurance. She, she can't get insurance for going into people's homes with these things to set it up for them and show them how it works. She can't get insurance for a storefront. Um, and so I actually um, sent the K KPMG report to um, her so that she can start. She, what she's saying is that the underwriters that she talks to um, to, to try to um, source some insurance for this kind of thing, it's. We are so early that they have no idea what it is. And of course, you know, an insurance company um, or an, an underwriter being, you know, very conservative individuals are not going to likely insure something that they haven't done some uh, some uh, actuarial work on. And it, it's just really interesting how you, how early we are and um, that the narrative is starting to change, even in places like uh, like Bozeman and simple things like uh, providing a business insurance. So you should tell her that Walmart.com, you can actually buy bit Bitmain uh, ASIC miners on Walmart.com. So right, Walmart's but, selling them, even though they're through third parties, it's got to be. Right. But Walmart, safer. Walmart isn't trying to go into people's homes. And so the insurance. But they're or, selling them to people's homes like the, Walmart is retail, right? They're very middle class, uh, help, helping a lot of consumers save money. And these people are buying ASICs on Walmart.com to put in their homes. So it's got to be safe enough for Walmart's pretty careful about this stuff. They don't list just anything. I, don't, I think they've like recently or somewhat recently removed the sale of rifles in their stores. So they're pretty, um, they're pretty careful about this stuff. I remember those days. You just walk into a Walmart and get a shotgun for a few hundred bucks. Those are the days. I stopped patronizing dicks because they removed AR-15s. But are there, okay, so are there any mainstream sort of popular stores or chains that sell AR-15s? Because dicks uh, are not, No, not that I'm, not that so I'm aware the of. Last, I mean, they were the last holdout probably or one of them. No, well, they're a sporting goods store. So there are a lot of sporting goods stores that sell AR-15s, like Cabela's. Okay, sure. Uh, you know, places but like not that. not like Big Five or not the big chain. Cabela's is pretty big. Well, oh. there's a difference between like sporting goods, I guess, and, and uh, you know, like a big box store. That's not the idea. Gotcha. Um, the point is Dick's is one of, supposed to be like one of these one of these sporting goods places. Anyway, uh, I can understand where this where this gal's running into problems getting insurance. I mean, that kind of makes sense to me. Insurance companies are are very uh, slow to create products and policies that they don't have a lot of data on. You know, insurance companies basically are in the are in the business of making money based upon a lot of actuarial statistics, right? Data. You know, they don't have any data on on Bitcoin mining, really, not yet. 
Yeah. I wish we could have a world where people could just have plain English contracts where the buyer, like you go into their home, they sign away their rights to sue you or, or it's limited to whatever because, you know, you don't want to operate a business where one catastrophe, one incident where you have a bad lawyer, they have a good lawyer and you go out of business and go bankrupt. But there should be a way for people to just like sign a plain English document saying, hey, I'm a grown ass man or, or woman or whatever, whatever gender. And I acknowledge that this minor, um, you know, you can't get insurance for and it might blow up. And even though it's sold on walmart.com, there's no guarantee that the installation is correct. And it's my risk and I trust you and I'm paying you and my, I've agreed not to sue you and this is enforceable. It's pretty stupid not to have this over-regulation. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of over-regulation in general. want to welcome up Dr. Detroit, not Tiger Global. Morning, guys. You have any comments or questions? Hey, thanks. Um, I just want to say you can still walk into the Walmart and buy a $99 shotgun. One that you kind of like crack an egg, one bullet in, done deal. 99 bucks. They don't put it in the shelf. You got to ask for that one. But they do have the uh, other ones on display for, you know, more money. But it is still going on, at least in my state. Wow. It's, yeah, not not in my state. It's great. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm down south, you know, so they just kind of let it roll. Yeah, I think it depends where you're at, right? And where I live, like, you can walk into a Walmart and buy a shotgun, too. It's no big deal. One Another thing I was just thinking about, um, I've been thinking about this heater type thing. And, you know, I think Watt for Watt S9 is probably the best space heater you could buy. And what would there be any like law or pushback on like Bitmain for using like some of their old hardware to make this new product? You know what I mean? Like, could there be some law? Could they be coming back saying, hey, you, you need to kick in if you're selling something that I used to make? You know what I mean? In uh, English, I guess. <laughs> Thanks. You're saying like, I, you're I don't... repurposing the, the components of the S9? Yeah. Like, if, I mean, that'd be the most cost-effective way to make this thing, wouldn't it be? And I don't see know. how they can stop somebody from doing it, though. Like, if you if you buy a product from them, you've paid the money for it. You can use it any way you want, I think. I mean, this kind of thing happens all the time. I mean, when you, when you see products that are built from components, essentially, I mean, there's entire industries from that. The phone that I'm talking to you on is a bunch of individual components that these companies basically buy, and then they assemble into this thing. And that kind of stuff happens all the time. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. At a, a smaller scale, you know, you could build this enclosure, whatever it is, fireproof or whatever, and use just throw an S9 in there. And, I you mean, know. I would still be concerned about the liability. I mean, it's not like these things don't catch on fire sometimes, right? Battling I put them to yeah. the So do space heaters, though. Yeah, you gotta be careful. It burns down more houses than anything. I don't have much to say about guns, but uh, um, how's everybody doing today? Everybody's good. 
doing great, man. Do you have uh, some comments or questions? No, yeah, no, I, I, I'm sort of, um, how would I characterize myself? I don't know if I, I know I speak to Terrence a lot, so he knows my deal, but I'm a bit of a crusader on a lot of the centralized actors and in the space. I'm just, I, I'm getting increasingly phone call but i'm getting increasingly frustrated with a lot of crypto twitter um and a lot of the false narratives and a lot of the lying and you know people pumping their bags with like you know their followers and these big accounts it's bullshit man and like i think the biggest i in all honesty the, the biggest problem with Bitcoin is that it has nothing to do with Bitcoin. It has to do with the people. There's a lot of stupid people who promote Bitcoin and that actually don't stand for the values of it. No, it's true. I mean, it's true. Like, the, and, and, and I'm, I'm not saying this, like, I don't think it's any of you guys. I like, I don't know you guys, but you know, you get, you get guys like Scott Melker and, you know, BitBoy and all these idiots chatting and saying whatever the fuck they want to say i think rfk said that scott melker is a leader of bitcoin and i was like the fuck does that even mean it doesn't even make any sense um but like it's just frustrating and even on the etf like i think it'll eventually get approved but i find it quite funny because the guy from Bloomberg, I forgot his name. He's a Bloomberg ETF analyst saying there's a 65 chance, uh, 65 percent chance of approval. But like, I don't actually think he's read why past uh, spot ETFs were denied because I had an I had an exchange with him in one of his threads, and I told him that if you read the past uh spot etf denials they the common thread in all of them was the market manipulation and stable points right and i mentioned tether and he was like what's tether and i'm like are you joking is this like a joke like you don't know what tether is and he didn't respond and I was like, well, the ETF analyst who's saying there's a 65% chance of approval doesn't even know why the past ETFs were denied. So I think it'll eventually get approved. Um, I think everyone who's hoping and preaching for an approval and thinks it's going to happen is just, you know, preaching it for the wrong reasons. But um, I think people need to remember why BlackRock is doing this, right? or wants to do this at least. And also what frustrates me is like everyone on CT homes and on this like one snippet from the from the uh from the interviews he gave. Like it's an international asset. It's uh it's digital gold. But they didn't show the part where he said that the narratives being preached are very premature and that he hopes for one day to get approved. And it probably will. It's just like there's a lot of bullshit happening. It's just frustrating. And, you know, I just still think there are some bad actors that need to be, need to be handled. All right, you know? cool. Thanks for coming up. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, man. Yeah.
you know, if you're frustrated, you can always put the phone down, step away from Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I used to make my thoughts of that. I used to make my kids take, uh, you know, when their attitudes got really crappy, I used to make them take mental diets away from, mm -hmm. away from video games and stuff like that until they could improve their <laughs> outlooks. All right. I want to welcome up Sam Callahan, head analyst at Swan. Uh, Sam, good morning. You recently had this tweet about KPMG. We were discussing it lightly here a little bit ago, but I uh, would love to hear your kind of thoughts on it and where you think it goes. Yeah, good morning, Alex. Um, hey, everybody. Yeah, you know, I I kind of, I don't know. I, I think about the KPMG report, and I, I, I tend to reject, like, ESG framing. Like, I think it's done a lot of harm and caused a lot of misallocation of capital, just the entire framing around ESG. Um, but at the same time, I thought that it was notable just as another example of kind of a shift in sentiment that's occurred within these institutions around Bitcoin. I think it's just more um, education that's occurred over the last like five years is starting to seep into these institutions, starting to understand some of the benefits that Bitcoin mining can bring to the energy industry as a whole. Now, KPMG, um, you know, that's one of the big four accounting firms. It brought in 30 plus billion dollars in revenues uh, last year alone. Uh, so they're kind of a big player, but this isn't really new because uh, KPMG Canada added Bitcoin uh, to its corporate balance sheet at the beginning of 2022. So they've been kind of understanding Bitcoin and, and the value it can bring um, to different parts of their businesses. And so this this article or this report I thought was significant because it just showed that they've kind of done their research. And, uh, you know, Andy Edstrom, Andy Edstrom has said like last year how Bitcoin is actually the most ESG asset he could think of when you kind of break it down. And it's almost like KPMG read Andy's uh, article because they kind of just repeat a lot of what he said. Uh, but I think it's notable because, you know, from an environmental standpoint, Bitcoin can obviously help uh, the environment through incentivizing um, the building out of renewable energy, uh, making it more profitable as they do it, uh, obviously stabilizing the grid through the flexible demand response, uh, recycled heat. Um, we know about the reducing methane uh, through the oil and gas um, facilities with Bitcoin mining. And then from a social benefit you know, obviously, Bitcoin being fully accessible and permissionless can help promote financial inclusion, especially in countries that don't have stable banking systems. Like we know these things that can improve cross-border payments. Um, we saw throughout like the Russia-Ukraine conflict how it could actually be used as a you know, global fundraising um, mechanism. And then it could help incentivize microgrids. That's kind of all what they said in this report. And then I thought that governance was an interesting component because I thought that's that's one of the really exciting things about Bitcoin is this new decentralized governance structure um, without humans, right? So it, the code itself is immutable. It ensures that it's a system that can't be abused or manipulated. And that's kind of what they said in this report is like, hey, this system, we can actually have a really high degree of confidence in it because we know that there's fidelity in the data. We know that it can't be manipulated. And so, um, yeah, so I guess I, I disagree with the overall ESG framing, but... Um, it was obvious that whoever wrote this article within KPMG uh, did their research, which is very encouraging, and that it just represents another shift in sentiment in, in these institutions. So um, that's kind of my overall take. I think it's just another signpost that is notable. 
Yeah, awesome. Thanks for the breakdown, man. Uh, I agree with that. And and I think one of the most important things about it is the fact that it's KPMG. You know, the other day we were talking about the Fitch downgrade and I I kind of blew it off. I was like, whatever. You know, everybody knows that the U.S. is mismanaging its fiscal um, situation and has been for decades. So in my mind, you know, and ever since we learned that that these kind of agencies were sort of compromised uh, in slapping AAA labels on garbage. You know, I never really took them seriously after that. But Greg pointed out that, yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to these entities as super signalers, so to speak, and they have a big effect on people's opinions. So KPMG is very, is, is one of these organizations, right? They're, I don't know, what would you say, Terrence? Do you think they're like maybe top five yeah, top four. I think it's the big four accounting firms now that are ever since like Arthur Anderson uh, blew up and Enron. And then I think two accounting firms, I forget which ones merged. So it used to be big six, now it's four. Yeah. So either way, I mean, they're, they're very uh, well respected as far as yes. an accounting firm globally. Uh, they manage the books for a lot of very large institutions, a lot of very large financial institutions. Uh, and do audits for a lot of these things. So for them to come out and and do a report like this is pretty is pretty important su- signal. Yes, it to me it's like when Mutual announced that they were going to, which is a big conservative Boston-based uh, insurance company, when they announced that they were they invested in Bitcoin in late 2020. Was it late 2020? That was massive pretty unbelievable like i i didn't think they would any u.s major u.s insurance company would do it so soon let alone a really conservative blue blood one like mass mutual so for blackrock kpmg fidelity and vesco which nobody talks about on bitcoin twitter um invesco came up with the qqq very popular tech uh etf index so these highly credible to to TradFi people and, you know, sort of a lot of um, wealthy people in the U.S., all these players are speaking positively about Bitcoin and understanding it at a deeper level. Like Sam said, they actually did some research. Um, it's, it's really good. It's really, really good. So I wouldn't be surprised if Bitcoin goes up a lot from here. I'm usually the one who's much more bearish, but this is setting up for a lot of, um, it makes Bitcoin legitimate to a lot of people, a lot of our normie friends who have money or run money, whether it's on Wall Street or asset managers or whatever, it's fantastic. And then we got people like Don Bay, who I believe is the first, um, Santa Monica is the first firefighter or police uh, pension fund to invest in Bitcoin since Pomp got to uh, years ago and then nothing seemed to happen after that in public pensions. So it's really good setup, I think. My ears were burning. I think, I think like reports like this from KPMG, somebody who's respected in traditional finance, it goes a long way because, you know, it's harder for these politicians who have this, um, you know, vendetta against Bitcoin 
and who write these reports that are citing all of these terrible studies and, and sharing a lot of misinformation around this technology, it's really hard for them to get away with it when you say, okay, you're saying this one thing, but then you have a reputable firm like KPMG who's saying the exact opposite of you and who's saying, hey, this is actually good. It's like very, it's similar to when the interim ERCOT CEO was on camera saying, you know, Bitcoin mining is actually really beneficial to the grid. Well, at the same time, some of these politicians are writing the letter saying how it's, um, you know, taking energy away from the grid. They're like, hold on, we're on the ground here and we're actually seeing the benefits right here. And so as more and more of these firms start to understand the benefits that Bitcoin mining can bring, it gets harder for the opposition uh, to kind of to carry on with these points that really lack any truth. And so I, I think it's um, it's just it's just another ally for Bitcoin mining and, and Bitcoin mining needs more allies to kind of push it forward because obviously there's been a lot of opposition in Washington, D.C. and a lot of misinformation around uh, you know its environmental impact and all that. Interestingly, though, you know, the more that they do that and the more that they're proven incorrect, because it's the same people over and over again, right? So they're starting to develop this reputation where they don't know shit about what they're talking about when it comes to Bitcoin. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's like we if if Bitcoin becomes a subject of presidential debate, I'm not sure whether it will or not, but if it does, uh, any any forum where it's being discussed, I mean, they're going to be forced to bone up on this information, which is really good. All right, I want to welcome up Trish Haynes and also Seth Bayless. Good morning. Do either of you have a question or comment? Yeah, I was just going to chime in on the KPMG discussion because um, I interned with PwC a few years back. And so um, just when y'all are kind of discussing where KPMG ranks, um, it is about fourth out of the big four, pretty much in America, but they're a lot bigger um, in Europe. And I was going to say, I put a tweet in the nest um, from Daniel Batten that's uh, kind of showing just how um, people are taking it more seriously now that someone that is reputable um, is speaking positively on Bitcoin. Trish, good morning. You have to unmute, bottom left. So many people get tripped up by that. You notice that? Yeah. All right. I just, well, uh, well, Hi guys, um, go on, Trish. Hello. <laughs> yeah, we can hear you. Go ahead. All right. I'm guessing that Trish can't hear us or she's having some other kind of connection problems. So Trish, if you can hear me, uh, maybe try to reconnect. We'll try again. Go ahead, Sam. Well, I, you know, it just goes back to my last point. It's just like the truth is on our side. And this is, it really is a powerful technology that's being introduced to the energy industry as a whole. And um, there's not a lot, you can't really come up with a, a data server or, or a load that is as flexible as Bitcoin miners. And, and, the benefits that it brings, like in terms of the size of the Bitcoin mining that can turn on and off and help stabilize the grid. Um, I mean, it's, it's really impactful and can help, help do a lot of wonderful things. And the reality is that a third of energy generated globally is wasted 
um, today, either because, you know, they can't find a buyer. Um, they don't have the infrastructure that's lost in transmission. Um, and so there's, it's a huge inefficiency we have in our society. And Bitcoin mining can come in at industrial scale and it can turn on and off whenever it wants to. It can co-locate at, at the energy sources. And it can also improve the financial profiles of these other intermediate, intermediate um, renewable energy sources. And so it, it really can bring all these benefits. And so the truth is on our side. And so I think over time, you're just going to see more and more of this capitulation around Bitcoin mining because the fact of the matter is it's a really beneficial technology for the energy industry. And so I think over time, just educational efforts will continue to help kind of convert some of these doubters around Bitcoin mining um, and help people understand the benefits that it could bring. 100%, Sam. They have to to reach their goals, especially the renewable goals. They have to. Otherwise, they're going to be having to make presentations about how they set these lofty goals that failed. Um, so it's super interesting. Hey, y'all, I'm here now, Alex and, and family. I got to go train for Pacific because you don't just show up to Pacific Bitcoin. You train for it to maximize the potential. So for anyone going to Swan Salon tonight, I'll catch you there, Sam. And uh, one love to the Cafe B crew. All right, brother. Be safe out there. Dom just sent me a DM with a picture of, of the surf. It's beautiful. All right, I want to give a shout out to Jason Meyer in the audience. Uh, we are going to throw you an invite. You're welcome up anytime. Coming up here in the second hour, in about 30 minutes, we're going to be uh, talking to Jason about what he's working on. Jason's the author of A Progressive's Case for Bitcoin. And uh, this is now available, I believe. And we'll be digging into that here in a little bit. Good morning, Mickey Koss. How are you doing? Hey Alex, I just I wanted to put some numbers behind the the green energy narrative because I don't I don't think a lot of people dig too deep on it. So last year the Texas heat wave um, was it wind wind energy was producing at about eight percent of capacity, and so that was the big problem. And so if you want to rely on something like wind, that means you would have to build it at twelve and a half times what they had. And so if your plant capacity was 100%, it's producing at 8%, you need to increase it 12.5x in order to get that reliable energy, um, assuming the 8% is like a black swan event, right? <clears throat> so the, the issue is when it's producing at full capacity, then what the hell do you do with all that extra energy? And that's where the Bitcoin mining comes in. And so that's that's really like the math behind it is is renewables, quote unquote, like, you know, wind and solar is you have to overbuild it to a massive extent in order to make it somewhat reliable. And so there's there's so much extra energy. And that's where the Bitcoin mining really comes in. That's fantastic. Thanks for pointing that out. Shout out also to Q in the audience. We're throwing you an invite. You're welcome to come up if you want to hang. Thanks for joining hey, us. Mickey, isn't the 8% even that is too high a number because the 8% comes in these gusts of wind or at a time like dawn or dusk when it's particularly windy when people aren't necessarily using that energy. So a lot of it is 
goes unused unless you have Bitcoin mining to soak up the the excess? Yeah, so <clears throat> I mean it's based on weather conditions, right? And so I, I wrote a I wrote a piece on Bitcoin magazine last summer about it. I called it probabilistic energy systems, right? Because it's just like will the wind blow today? I mean probably, but we don't know when and for how long. Um, and so, yeah, so down, down kind of like the Midwest corridor, there's a ton of wind energy, but with that wind energy, there's also a high prevalence of negative energy prices because they're heavily subsidized. And if there's a shitload of energy, they can just bid in negative prices and still make a profit to just kind of offload it all. But that's not good for traditional companies because then they have to take negative prices and just kind of suck it up. Right. And so... Like that, I mean, that's another thing with Bitcoin mining is they can suck up all that excess from wind. It's unpredictable. They smooth the production curves out, eliminate negative prices. It's good for everybody. And so, yeah, there's 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 a lot of aspects for renewables because they are volatile, unpredictable, uncontrollable. Well, Sam, while we've got you here, uh, were there any other thoughts you wanted to make on the on the KPMG report that you found interesting or anything else that you're digging into nowadays that you find interesting? No, I mean, um, nothing on the KPMG report. I, I, do, um, I do wanted to ask, not Tiger Global. I know he's kind of looked into the Tether stuff a little bit. I don't know. I, I kind of walked in on the conversation. Uh, it sounds like he was like finishing it up, but what's his thoughts around like the dwindling cash positions um, on Tether's balance sheet? Did you have any thoughts about, I think I saw you thought it's going to like the reverse repos. Can you maybe speak on that a little bit? I'd just love to learn more about your thoughts there. Yeah, man. Um, do you guys hear me by the way? Sorry. Yeah, we got you. Yeah, Go got ahead. You. I'm I'm in the middle of my work day as well, so I'm kind of juggling things in the market. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so I had I mean, look, there's a lot of <laughs> I'm not going to get into the conspiracy theories right now. But what what Tether's dwindling cash position tells me is that they are losing access to banking, and frankly, I don't know how you sustainably run a stable coin with. 0.1% of your asset base in cash and bank deposits. I just don't understand it. Um, there is a, and I don't know if you saw, like they, they increase their uh, reverse repo agreements by like billions. I mean, basically if you look at Q4 cash, it looks like they shifted a lot of that cash if you're assuming their attestations, which I don't. But if you're assuming it, uh, they shifted a lot of the cash into reverse repos. And if I had to take a slight guess slash tinfoil hat theory here, uh, they did that to avoid the risk of their funds being freezed. And I don't know if you guys saw a couple of weeks ago, but they did freeze $59 million at Dell Tech Bank, which is one of Tether's main banks, aside from uh, 
think the other one's Capital Union something. Um, but they don't, yeah, I just don't. And the numbers don't even make sense if I'm just being frank, like for this quarter, because uh, the market cap went up four billion and rates went up. But the actual change, the dollar amount change in their quote unquote surplus was lower than last quarter. Last quarter, the change in surplus was 1.5 billion, assuming if you're assuming that. And then this quarter is 850 million. So I don't really get it. Doesn't really make any, a, a whole lot of sense to me. Um, but yeah, I think they're just getting debanked. And like, I think eventually stable coins might be a thing of the past. And I mean, there just has to be some kind of like automated, like KYC AML thing built into these things for it to work, in my opinion. I don't, I don't, I'm not a, engineer so i don't know how that would work but there's got to be something right and i think what's interesting is if you look at the market caps between usdc and usd and usdt they're almost inversely correlated the entire year so like there is also a theory that i have just the theory don't take too much from this but it would make it would make sense why usdc's market cap has imploded and what I think would be happening is Tether is swapping some of their USDT for USDC and then redeeming it for dollars, which would make sense because they're having, they're getting increasingly shut out from the banking system. So those are just my thoughts, but yeah, you don't have to read too much into that. A lot of it is, you know, assumptions, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, the other, I mean, they could just be parking the money in the reverse repo just to get the yield, right? It just kind of makes sense from a business decision, no? Maybe, maybe. I guess we just have to assume whatever they say. Well, I mean, it's just like incentives there. I mean, they can earn about 5% by parking into the reverse repo, very low risk. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah. I, I just, I was curious to hear your thoughts, so thanks for sharing. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, and we, we get this a lot, these um, folks that don't like Tether. So at this point, I feel like Tether is so big. It's just a money machine. They don't even have to do anything that they may or may not have done when they first started. And they can just park it in reverse repo by short-dated U.S. Treasuries earn 4 or 5%. And have some in Bitcoin because they are Bitcoin. Like they do believe in Bitcoin. The people that have met them in person um, that I know and respect, um, including in real life. So not just kind of Twitter Illuminati types like Adam Back. But um, so I think at this point, they're basically how they make money, right? It's you give them U.S. dollars. They you get tether, you get you whatever, what whatever you give them, Bitcoin for USDT, what whatever it is, and then they take that and they buy stuff with it. They're, you're basically giving them a loan that you can pull anytime, right? You can call the loan anytime, so you can give them a loan today, call it in an hour, call it tomorrow, right? And get 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 your tether, get get um, sell your tether for whatever. So um, 
So they have that risk. And what they're trying to do is make sure that they don't have a bank run. So if you're greedy long-term, right, which they should be, if you want to maximize profits over time, you're going to have some some in reserve. So if there is some this tether FUD and there is a bank run on tether, so to speak, and everybody's selling tether and trying to get out, you have enough to redeem for whatever it is they're trying to redeem for Tron or Ethereum or whatever, because Tether is built on top of those two uh, shit coins, which is not great. Sure. But so, uh, it I'll is, give you one small So they don't have to do anything super illegal at this point, in my view, outside of like not registering and not, you know, lying about where they're located and stuff. But in terms of the economics, the economics are pretty sound, I think. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you one anecdote that to this sure. day, I, I, I can't understand for the life of me. But it, I mean, it was relatively recently. It was early March and Paolo and Mr. Scott Malker seemed to have an interesting relationship. But because he's always on his stupid podcast. But um, uh, he got on, I think it was like the first week of March. Paolo said, yeah, we're going to do 700 million in profit for the quarter. All right. Okay, fine. Whatever. Um, now that's like three weeks before the quarter ends. Right. So like you would think you have pretty like clear visibility into like, you know, like what you're going to make. <laughs> right. And like, if it's truly just interest income, then you would know exactly what you're going to make. Right. But then the quarter comes out and the profit is like more than twice as much as that. So I just don't know like what, like how you work out the math. Here. Like, how do you, how do yeah. you miss your expectations? You know what I'm saying? So it's like, there's all these things that just don't add up to me. I am a very open critic of stable coins and exchanges. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm probably the most anti-Binance person on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty anti-Binance. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so I hear you. Um, I, there's no question in my mind that their incentive is too it's too too um, too tempting to not gamble with at least a small piece of it and do like derivatives or levered positions and financings and structured products and stuff like that with a portion. So that could be what's happening. They could be playing, you know, think they're really smart and playing, making interest rate bets, bets on Bitcoin price, whatever it is. So um, maybe they have Bitcoin options. I don't know. So I wouldn't be surprised if that um, happens. And because they're a private company, it just doesn't really matter. And people seem to want to use it. So until there's a better alternative, I would love to see personally a temper. This is just temporary, right? Because like not Tiger said or not Chase said, eventually these stable coins go away, I think. But f for now, um, if we can have a U.S. dollar-based stablecoin, quote-unquote stablecoin, on top of Bitcoin or Lightning, that would be much better. And the reason it's important to have that is because there are some businesses, including in the U.S., that we just talked about earlier. I don't know if you were here talking about like Walmart selling guns, uh, Dick's um, Sporting Goods no longer selling AR-15s. They're guns and ammo, um, the adult film industry, cannabis um and i forgot there's one other but there's Gold. like four industries. there's others yeah there's there's others. Others. but there's four main industries where in the u.s you cannot you can get easily debanked all the time 
and certain companies won't do business with those um, types of businesses. So you do need um, something that is digital and a little bit harder to censor, a little bit harder to confiscate, a little bit more private than using Zelle or um, Apple Cash or whatever it is, Venmo. So it, it is useful and people do find usage in that. And we, I think we've seen that with USDC, which try to be this regulatory compliant sort of faux CBDC or yeah. whatever they were doing. Um, Tether has gained market share despite the crypto regulation, despite being on top of Ethereum, on top of Tron, which is a, even worse in some ways than Ethereum. I mean, Tron is a joke. Tron's a complete joke, in my opinion. Yeah, they're, they're both shit coins, and maybe Tron is even worse because they kind of ripped off, I think, the Ethereum white paper and Justin Sun's horrible. Vitalik is just... Um, evil genius in some ways or he's not a genius but he comes off he plays cosplays genius he seems smart justin sun does not seem smart he just seems like a slimy uh, shit coiner justin sun's funny guy mr funny boy uh <laughs> but no uh i think i think just from like a liquidity backdrop standpoint what i would be concerned about is i don't know if you guys saw like cz's tweets about stable coins and like yes sorry i i got I, I got a phone call but um cz's tweets about stable coins were interesting uh and i don't think it's a surprise that if you look at the past four months at least on the trading pair denominations TUSD went from basically 0% of global volumes to like 20% in four months. And Tether went from basically 90% to 70%. So like, I would be concerned if there is a souring relationship between Binance and Tether. I would be very concerned about that. Um, but that is just an assumption I am making. And he and CZ is kind of distancing himself from USDT in a way. Like most of the uh, trading pairs on Binance are not denominated in TUSD right now, as opposed to USDT. It's becoming increasingly more dominant. Uh, and he made this other stupid fucking stable coin, FDUSD, which I literally think is meant to fill a hole he has on his fucking books. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. There's just some, some things to be mindful of here. It's increasingly yeah. questionable, isn't it? Like uh, the DO, did you guys see the thing about the DOJ? I guess there's some rumor that the DOJ is considering charging um, CZ and uh, Binance, et cetera, but they're afraid of a, of a bank run. I don't know if that really They don't want to be true. You need to know, though. That's yeah. all you need to know, right? Like if... If you're assuming that that article was real, right, and the DOJ said they're worried about a bank run, that implies that they don't have the money, and they know they don't have the money. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty weird stuff. I want to say good yeah. morning to both Joe Carlosari and Lisa Huff. Good morning to both of you. Thanks for joining us. Do either of you have some comments or anything you want to add? Joe, I'd love to hear what's going on in your world as well. I was just going to add a 
something I read about ERCOT. Um, pulling it up, it says, uh, Chairman Peter Lake, oh, sorry, he's not the chairman of ERCOT, he's the um, public utility commission. Um, chairman Peter Lake is, quote, taking a blank slate approach for a full overhaul and redesign of the ERCOT market. And first comments in the process are to be filed August 16th. Uh, this is all supposed to be completed by the end of the year, which in my view is just absolute uh, uh, optimism, I guess. We'll redesign ERCOT in under a year when we have, I think, at least one times or two times the amount of complete power on ERCOT is in the pool waiting for approval. So I don't know how you have um, a demand load of X and then a waiting pool of say, you know, one X or two X or three X. And yet we're going to redesign the whole system. I just, I don't know the, the, the lunacy around um, the renewable and the um, I think in this article, they mentioned like how beneficial it is to have many energy sources uh, contributing to a grid. It's just, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's dumb. People need to quit reading this garbage, quit accepting the narrative, quit listening to the mainstream media. That's it. All right. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of misguided folks out there nowadays. That's a thing. Joe, what was that, uh, what was the point that you wanted to make in regards to the 15 basis points on the 10 year? Probably doing lawyer work. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Maybe he's talking to not Chase. No, Joe knows about the law more than I do. <laughs> I don't know. No, I'm, I'm saying not, maybe, maybe you need legal help because Justin's son's going to sue you for defamation. Oh, but yeah, just a reminder to everyone, truth is a defense. So I not Tiger is not liable. <laughs> I dare him to come to the United States. I dare him. So he was in San Francisco. I actually met him through a mutual friend oh, back yeah. when I was a shitcoiner. And he had the weakest handshake and couldn't look me in the eye. It was so weird. CZ, you mean? No, Justin's son. CZ is, oh. seems much more comfortable with his uh, full alphaness and forefinger, no. whatever the fuck. I'm sure he is. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, everyone just, I mean, I screwed around in shit coins too. And, you know, the the boom times in 2020, 2021, I think everyone did. I mean, it was just, it was just fun, but like, uh, you know, uh, Justin's son is, he's a scumbag. <laughs> he's just a scumbag, this guy. Uh, uh, yeah, he, he has a funny video where he's like, I don't know where he is, but he's out somewhere. It's on YouTube. He's like, buy my shit coin. I'm like, this is your leader. That's your leader, everybody. <laughs> and now he's got to bail out DeFi, and that's not going to work. 
he's he's gonna fucking rug it. Yeah. Yeah. So so just... yeah, that that's one thing I agree with. Sorry, real quick. All these stable coins are fraud on its face because they're not stable and they will be rugged eventually. Why? Because the incentives are just too high to rug. But having said that, I do think Tether can play the long game and just milk it because you are giving them interest-free loans and they don't have to spend a lot of money on regulatory compliance because they're not really complying. They do um, spend a lot of money on lawyers and secrecy stuff to hide from regulators, especially the U.S., but it seems like so far they're able to get away with it in this global digital world. Now you know about the theory of being in Forbes, right? <laughs> they were all featured as now billionaires. <laughs> good. Uh, good for them. Happy for them. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, like, fucking DeFi is a bunch of bullshit, man. It's all CDO squared crap. It's literally the same thing as CDO squared. It's, it, it's worse. L it's let me worse. tell you why it's worse. Yeah. The reason it's worse is because DeFi is sold to American workers and middle class and poor Americans. CDO squared were never, ever sold to anybody below probably a net worth of $10 million or $30 million, at least like accredited investors, but usually much, much wealthier because the only people that had uh, access to those things were like the Merrill Lynch's and Morgan Stanley's and Goldman's of the world. I worked at two of those three. And we never sold those to any U.S. retail. Why? Because it was fucking illegal and we didn't want to get our asses sued and haul before court or Congress. So DeFi is much worse because unregulated, breaking the law all over the place by offering these fake money market funds or whatever the fuck they are, um, bank loans, bonds, however you want to characterize it. This is all regulated. Finance is heavily regulated in the United States. Why? Because it's about your money, your life savings, your investments. And so we have to have regulation because in the past people got rinsed over and over, like in the Great Depression through fraud and manipulation and wash trading. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's let's wrap this up. I do want to hear from Lisa Huff uh, before we move on here. I also want to welcome Jason Meyer to the stage. We're going to be digging in with Jason here shortly. But uh, Lisa, did you have any comments or anything you wanted to add before we switch up here? Oh, thank you, Alex. Y'all were talking about the KPMG report quite a bit. I'm wondering if anyone in this space got an email from one of their normie friends with that report attached, the way that we get report, you know, I always get stuff forwarded to me when everything's going bonkers, you know, the world is falling, Bitcoin's getting crushed by governments. Wondering if anyone got that forwarded to them. Cause I did not. Not me. I don't, I don't think, I don't think normie friends do that. Like they, they don't, I have never once seen, now that I think about it, now that you bring it up, I've never once seen someone who's not a Bitcoiner, a Bitcoin information to my attention. It's always when something happens that's negative. Uh, and if the price has a big correction or something like that, that's when they reach out and they're like, you are, are you doing okay? 
is everything okay? Isn't, you know, isn't the definition of a normie somebody that doesn't know anything about Bitcoin? And hence, since they know nothing about Bitcoin, why would they have anything positive to say? Their news is always off, uh, really late in my experience, too. Is everything okay? It happened like three weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the time when um, they come to me is more when the price is up or the price is down a lot and there's lawsuits all over the place. Um, but but they do come to me when price is up a lot and they're, they like want to buy and want to know what's going on. So they, these are people don't understand and they want to, they, they have fear of missing out. All right, one last chance with Joe Carlosari. Are you with us or not with us? I'm going to assume not with us. All right, good morning, Jason Meyer. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Hey, Alex, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. So it's been a little while since uh, we've had you. For those of you who are not familiar with Jason, he is a teacher, also a Bitcoiner. He's the author of A Progressive's Case for Bitcoin. It's got a bunch of five-star reviews right now on Amazon. So congratulations, man. That is for sale. I did receive the you sent me, by the way. Thank you so much. Very cool. I'm making my way through it. It's one of, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, about 12 Bitcoin-related books that I have stacked around my desk. <laughs> and I kind of hop around back and forth between all of them. So, uh, but awesome that it's, uh, that it's, it's for sale. And uh, how you been? Uh, doing great. Obviously, uh, it's been a busy few weeks. Um, you know, the book got released in the spring and, um, you know, just a lot of interest and a lot of people reaching out about the book and, um, you know, trying to get a handle on all of that. Uh, you know, I got a call from my dad the other day. He's working his way through the book too. And he doesn't know anything about Bitcoin and he's, you know, super upset that I'm a progressive anyway. So it's been interesting to get his take on uh, the book and, and field questions. So you're not the only one making your way through the book uh, slowly. Um, but yeah, no, the, the last few weeks have been intense and exciting and uh, really amazing. I've had uh, tremendous outpouring of support for, for the book and for the project and been really uh, grateful for that and, and really humbled by it. Uh, so yeah, things are going well. So one of the things that uh, one of the early chapters in the book you did, I think it's chapter three, you are talking about Bitcoin is good for the environment. So this KPMG report must have been felt pretty good as a, you know, as a confirmation of, did they talk about similar things to what, what you're, what, what you believe is important or? Yeah. I mean, you know, like I think being in Bitcoin is sort of slowly being vindicated over and over again, right? So when reports like this come out, uh, that's it's one of the feelings. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've I've skimmed the KPG report. I mean, it's not um, obviously there's nothing new in the report if you're following along in Bitcoin and you're paying attention. But it's great to have sort of a, a mainstream presence out there. I think that we're we're shifting the narrative, and as you guys were saying earlier. Um, it just makes it harder for people to just throw out FUD or just misconceptions and have it land and have it stick. There's actual information and data and different viewpoints that can can be pushed up against that. So it's absolutely um, 
you know, the, the build out of renewable energy or that, you know, Bitcoin is already using a lot of uh, green energy or you can mitigate methane or you can, you know, reuse that heat. So all of those things are, are aligned with how I try to express to my target audience that the impact on the environment that Bitcoin has is a lot more nuanced and complicated than what you hear in the mainstream media. And hopefully that will get people um, who otherwise, like the only information they would have is sort of these headlines and these politicians talking about it in very simplistic terms. It gives a bunch of people uh, eventually the vocabulary and the tools to sort of push back on that and to understand that it's, you know, understanding the environment, understanding how energy is used and transmitted um, and actually functions is all very important and a lot more nuanced than the media and the politicians want to want to portray. Yeah, so there's um, one of the one of the topics that uh, I think is probably going to be appealing just to people is that. Um, you know, if people care about essentially social justice in the world and um, how our current systems contribute to to inequality because of the Cantillon effect and the fact that they're close to the money printer, they're advantaged. They and and wealth is kind of concentrating in the top one percent, etc. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that because? You know, for a lot of people, having dishonest money is very disadvantageous from a financial perspective. And um, what are your thoughts and views on on this as far as Bitcoin being able to help people? Yeah, I mean, I think that throughout my book, like I try to make it sort of um, half you're learning about Bitcoin and half of it you're learning about the legacy financial system in ways that are really novel to most people. Um, and you know, if you think about, you know, who's the target audience for a book like mine, it's it's uh, pre-coiners who don't know anything or very little about Bitcoin and who consider themselves on the left side of the political spectrum. Well, that's a lot of people and they all have sort of like one kind of you know view about what causes wealth inequality or like how that happens. Um, and I think that the beauty of Bitcoin is not that not only that. Um, it's a more transparent uh, process and that it's a more fair uh, process, but, you know, of, of money creation and distribution and all of that. Um, but I think the, the sort of hidden benefit is that when you learn about Bitcoin, you have to learn about the legacy financial system and learn about that, like this inequality that happens or this wealth concentration. That's really unhealthy, like it's an unhealthy symptom of society is really more complicated or, or has a different lens to look at it through than what we're being told um, just in sort of traditional circles. It's not just sort of a, a bad thing on top of an otherwise healthy system. That wealth inequality is sort of embedded and woven through our system. And uh, most people don't have an opportunity or a desire or an ability to learn about that in a deep way. And so I think that, you know, every Bitcoiner I've ever talked to, like, learns about Bitcoin and then learns about the legacy financial system and sort of learns about, you know, many other things. But, you know, this this wealth inequality uh, through the lens of sort of money creation and fair money um, and, you know, what Bitcoin offers versus the legacy financial system is really new for a lot of people. 
Um, and it's a different lens to look at the problem. And obviously, it's a different lens to look at the solution, too. And that's an exciting proposition for me. I mean, do you think it's fair to say that a lot of people have no idea why the wealth equality inequality, I should say, even exists? Like, I think most people, not most, but there are a lot of people who who probably attribute it to just, you know, incorrect ideas about capitalism and things like that. They just think it, that the system itself of capitalism is the reason for it, when in reality, it's, it's dishonest money. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, the, the idea of having an unfair money system uh, is like, maybe not 100% the cause, but is a huge factor that most people have no idea. I, I think you're right. Um, I think that especially most people who pick up this book and, and aren't Bitcoiners already are, you know, in a position to learn something that's a little bit shocking and distressing because you think you have this feeling that things are bad or unfair or unjust and that the system doesn't quite work, but you don't really have the vocabulary to assign to those problems or you have sort of a limited vocabulary or cause and effect that you hear from uh, the media or from the politicians that you vote for. Um, and what I'm trying to do is offer a wider range, a wider lens to look at all of those problems. But yeah, absolutely. Most people have no idea that like, you know, how money is created has a tremendous impact on how it gets distributed and flows through an economy. Most people haven't thought about that at all. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, all right. So you were, uh, you were part of that crew with Dennis Porter, uh, et cetera, where you guys were in DC you dropped off a bunch of books to various different uh, congressional offices. And one of those you dropped off to AOC's office. Did you ever uh, hear anything? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, the short answer is no. I never heard back from AOC. Um, you know, I, I will say that the event. Stalker. Itself, <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I just got ghosted. Uh, it's okay. Um, but I do think that the event itself was uh, absolutely fascinating. And I know you've talked about it on the show with Dennis before, too. And, and I mean, for him and the Orange Pill app and the Geyser Fund, all of those sort of en entities work together, Satoshi Action Fund, to make this happen. And it was really a beautiful moment where I got to meet like on the ground Bitcoiners who just showed up and were like, yeah, let me work and let me help pass out these books. So like. It, it seems almost trivial when you just say it out loud, but like like huffing hundreds of books all around uh, the Capitol and getting them into the offices and talking to people and shaking hands is actually a long day with, you know, your your uh, Fitbit would go crazy. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot of walking, a lot of hills and uh, a lot of smiling. So it was a lot of work, got to meet amazing people and really um, just have a number of fascinating conversations with staffers um, in those offices and some, you know, uh, other Congress people uh, throughout the day. And obviously just meeting sort of um, a variety of people in Washington, D.C. who are all sort of mission aligned to hand out those books. So totally stoked that that happened. I think it's a nice symbolic gesture. I think that a very small percentage of those senators and Congress people will actually read the books. Um, but I think that's that's movement and that's that's a nice uh, moment in time. And I was happy to be a part of it and and really sort of grateful that my book was um, in, in a very targeted, specific way uh, used because it would, you know, uh, you know, 
supposedly talk to some of those uh, politicians in a, in a way that resonated more with them than some of the other books. So uh, grateful to be a part of that. Yeah, it's very cool. I'm glad to see you guys doing that. Um, all right. So there's a different part of the, your book where you're talking about Bitcoin and peace. Can you unpack that a little bit? Like, why did you write that section? What do you think is important about it? Uh, and what were you trying to get across there? Yeah, the um, the book is, you know, if you think about the book holistically, it's it's really a collection. Each chapter is sort of like, hey, here's an argument that I would make to a person standing in front of me um, about why Bitcoin makes the world a better place or um, at the very least, like aspirationally could make the world a better place if we continue to educate and, and adopt. Um, and so, you know, there's you know, a variety of chapters. One of them is about um, is about peace and war. And really, the, the, the foundational premise is simply, let's examine how wars and conflict um, are paid for right now, and how uh, politicians are able to manufacture consent for this violence that they're not really uh, benefiting from. Um, and so it, it's really sort of a deep dive into like, well, historically, like, what did it mean if a, if a nation had to go off the gold standard to fight a war because they couldn't pay for the things that they needed? Um, and, you know, in an aspirational sense, if, if, if we hold our governments accountable on a Bitcoin standard or something like it, then you just can't go off of a Bitcoin standard for weight because it's different than gold. And you can't just print money to fund war, which is what's happening now. And if you have... An, um, an engaged populace that is interacting with their representatives and they don't like a war and they're feeling in some way like a financial or civic pain uh, that's associated with that war, then uh, that's probably better for all of humanity. Like that's better for the people who are going off and doing the fighting and dying and the people who are paying for it and all of that. So it, it's really an aspirational argument to say like, let's have a sound money system where if you need to or want to go to war, then you're going to have to pay for it. And you're going to have to communicate to the populace that is electing you in an honest and transparent way about why it's necessary and, and why it's important that we do this. And we've gotten sort of over the, the decades, the past 50, 60 years, uh, but even more recently, we've gotten away from that where we're just fighting decades-long wars that most people don't want to be fighting, and they're also not feeling any sort of pain from it. It's all completely removed from most people, um, and that's how they get away with it. So I think it's a it's an interesting chapter. It's a little bit different than some of the others because it's like this aspiration where, where we can think about what a Bitcoin world might look like um, and maybe something to work towards. That's a great point. We were actually talking about that earlier this morning where – I think it's been over a decade since the Pentagon has had has been able to pass an audit where they actually know where all the money's going, which is pretty concerning because we're talking, I think, on the order of something like $10 trillion is unaccounted for at this point. That sounds like a lot of money. I'm willing to believe that. I don't. I can't verify it, but uh, it does sound like a lot of money. And getting uh, a thumbs up from I think Jordan <laughs> on the Bitcoin Veterans handle. Do you do you know the number, Jordan? <laughs> anyway, it's a it's a lot, right? So the the as you mentioned, Jason, it's a it's this this situation where 
they're sort of perpetuating this, um, the military industri industrial complex kind of forever wars. It's like a never ending spigot of money flowing into the hands of certain people. And it's, uh, at the cost of human life. And then, you know, also the cost of American taxpayer dollars for what, as you mentioned, like being so removed for these, from these conflicts and, uh, they just manufacture consent. It's, it's pretty, pretty terrible stuff. So I am looking forward to a future where, where, um, Bitcoin forces more accountability and, uh, it's not so simple to just spend money on stuff that, maybe we don't all agree with. Yeah, I, I think that it's interesting because, uh, you know, there's, you know, like I don't align politically with what probably most of your audience or, or Bitcoin, Twitter or whatever. Um, but like there are arguments to be made for anybody that is, if you're interested in orange pilling somebody that you care about and you want them to understand the beauty and the power of Bitcoin, then there's there's a avenue to do that, right? There's some sort of thing that they care about that they think is going wrong with the world or uh, finance or the economy or politics. And you can kind of speak to them in a language that makes sense, right? And it's not going to be the same for every person. Um, but the hope is that, you know, I, uh, you know, I've created this resource that people can use to say, hey, like, I know that you really care about wealth inequality or I know that you care about the environment or peace, Um or you know, empowering marginalized communities. Like these are things that you care about, and here's how Bitcoin helps. And that's not you know going to be the same for every person. Um, and I've gotten a lot of great feedback throughout this whole experience, which is just blowing me like blowing my mind because the whole point of the book was to like make a resource that people can hand off to their friends and family. Um, and I've just time after time I get you know messages all the time like I I love your book. I'm going to give it to my brother. I'm going to give it to my sister-in-law. Whatever. The case is that, and that's exactly what the the intent of the book was. Um, but you know, further to that, like I get a lot of messages too of people who are already into Bitcoin and have been into Bitcoin for a super long time and have felt um, sort of like voiceless in the space. Like they um, align more with me politically, but they don't feel like they can say say that out loud. And um, it's been really kind of nice and refreshing to to hear people like you know tons of people coming out of the woodwork and saying thank you because this is sort of how I think about things and never had really uh, the opportunity to feel comfortable saying it. So um, it's it's really hit like the book experience and, and the resource being out there has really been hitting on, on some of the major goals that I had um, and I'm really proud of it and happy and, and really feel supported by the community. Man, I'm glad to hear that. Um, and I'm also glad you brought it up because there are some people who you know, the the kind of folks who listen to this show on the regular are probably more conservative leading than liberal leaning. And um, I think it's important to point out that not everybody thinks the way everybody else thinks. And like the the thing you said about you got to go to where people are at and and speak to them in terms that they understand and that they can they can communicate with you on is super super important. And the and the thing that gives me kind of hope with Bitcoin is, is that this is the first thing that I've ever seen in my lifetime so far where it's like in, in, in my entire life, I've seen uh, people with different kind of value systems become further and further divided over time. Like it's gotten to this point where almost everything is politicized. Almost everything is like, you know, battle lines are drawn and it's red versus blue or it's this versus that or 
you know, black versus white or whatever. And it's just causing so much division in, in both our nation and around the world. And I, and it's, it's pretty horrible because that's all you see. It's like this, it's this nonstop trend of people just getting angry and angrier and angrier with each other to the point where it's like, if you listen to the rhetoric on mainstream news nowadays, it's, it's like people are almost at the point where they're outright calling for violence against, against people who don't think like they do. And this is very dangerous. Yeah, and Bitcoin I, is the first thing I have seen in my entire life that that has a chance of us coming together and agreeing on something that's good for all of us. I I agree with you, and that was the the hope behind writing the book when I did, and and trying to get it done as quickly as I did because I saw the same opportunity you just mentioned to have a common ground thing that didn't have to be a political wedge issue. And, and, you know, we can see the trends with sort of some Democratic politicians, um, but not all. And I was trying, you know, hoping beyond hope that we can get out in front of it and, and have Bitcoin be sort of something that people can unite around and agree about um, and not have it be this political item that, um, you know, if you if you support Bitcoin, then I understand like your whole political like landscape. I understand how you think about things. Um, and the, like, like you said, like, that's a major goal of the book is to get through to people, um, who right now aren't thinking about Bitcoin at all. Um, but have them folded into the knowledge and the understanding about why it's important and then put pressure on politicians on both sides and, and really stop it from becoming that let's, this is one more thing to, to fight over. Um, and so that's the, that's the hope and the goal behind sort of providing the resource. Um, and. You know, uh, like you say, it's it's we have a chance. Uh, it's not guaranteed, and we have to work for it. But hopefully, we can get to that point where we we can fulfill that opportunity of having something that unites us instead of divides us. Yeah, I think this is the thing, and and the reason why I say that is, is that like I I am able to have conversations with people who I would normally have strong disagreements with about a lot of things, uh, yet can come together on the same mission when it comes to Bitcoin, because, you know, the value of what Bitcoin provides to humanity is far greater than these little issues that, that we've been divided over for so long. All right. I'm, I'm going to leave it. Go ahead, Terrence. Oh yeah. Um, Jason, can you talk a little bit about how Bitcoin in your view helps the poor and marginalized communities and how we can avoid uh, Wall Street and governments buying up uh, most of the Bitcoin as OGs sell or lose their coins or whatever. Um, how do we help poor and marginalized communities get Bitcoin before the rich and powerful get it? That's a that's a great question. I wish that I had like a foolproof answer, right? Like um, we see these uh, you know applications for ETFs, and we know that there's interest among very wealthy people um, and investors and corporations and banks to to get into the game. Um, my, I mean, I'm just going to keep doing what I can do and educating people and trying to get the word out. Um, I do think that Bitcoin is a beautiful opportunity uh, for people. Even if your disposable income is very low, you can still buy a little bit of Bitcoin and educate yourself about how to secure it and take care of it. Um, and so it's an opportunity for everybody, really. Um, and, you know, the hope is that if we just get the message out there and, and keep educating people 
um, that they are able to devote a little bit of their resources to, you know, from you know, the product of their labor goes into Bitcoin and, and is secured. So I do think that, um, you know, a Bitcoin, more Bitcoin adoption, more Bitcoin systems um, does provide a more transparent, fair landscape for which to interact economically. So, you know, right now we're in a situation where, you know, housing and other things, but, you know, we'll focus on housing for a second is completely monetized um, in, in the sense that, um, there's there's a monetary premium put on where you live um, because the money is broken and there's no vehicle to really save risk free and, and have a store of value. Um, and so what that means is like people who are starting out their life or even now uh, in the middle of their adulthood are having trouble buying homes because they're just too expensive. Um, if we fix uh, that aspect of money, then you know, hopefully we provide more opportunity for people to actually, um, you know, afford homes that they need or, you know, fill in the blank on anything else. So I do think that uh, fair, transparent, uh, you know, equitable systems are good uh, for everybody. And I think Bitcoin does provide an opportunity for that. So that's good. Um, and on an individual micro level, like the more people can, um, that's my dog. <laughs> uh, the more people can, uh, just save their resources and uh, to the, what the extent that they can in Bitcoin and, and have that sort of value that helps people too. All right. While you're figuring out whether your dog is about to eat somebody who's trying to break into your house, uh, let's open it up. Um, anybody who wants to ask questions now is going to be a good time. If you're in the audience and you want to come up and ask a question, um, you can request to come up. You can also ask a question in our Telegram group. That's t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. By the way, we'll also post all the links that we normally post in the nest during the show. If you're listening to this as a podcast and you're wondering where those links are, you can join our Telegram group, t.me forward slash Cafe Bitcoin Club. Grab the links there. Uh, does anybody have any other questions for Jason? All right, so we've got a couple minutes left. Jason, do you want to make any um, closing comments before we wrap up here? Before we do that, by the way, I, under I understand you're going to be doing a, a book signing tomorrow at PubKey in New York City. Is that right? Or that's today? That's today. That's later. Yeah, I'm, when I get off this call, I'll uh, get on the train and I'll be in New York City. So uh, if anybody's around the New York City area, then come to the meetup tonight at PubKey, 6 o'clock. I will be talking about the book and I'll, and I'll be there signing copies if, uh, if anybody's interested. So thanks for the plug. Very cool. All right. So if there are no other questions for Jason, that about does it, Jason, you will have any uh, closing comments that you want to make, by the way, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with uh, further sales of the book. Um, and I've enjoyed hanging out with you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, you know, it's it's been great and super interesting uh, to listen in on all the different conversations. I mean, every day you guys go through a wide variety. But um, thank you, and and just a thank you to the whole community for being so supportive of the project and the work that I'm doing. I've, I've felt the Bitcoiner love uh, throughout. Um, if you're interested in in learning more, uh, then my website is BitcoinProgressive.com. You can find out uh, more about the book and more about me there. And uh, my, you know, my messages are open. If if Twitter X will let you message me, then message me and I will respond. 
Cool. Thanks for being here, man. All right. Anybody else got anything else before we wrap here? Sounds like that's the end of the show. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news. Prefer to hang out for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Also, a podcast up on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple if you can't catch the live show. Tonight, we are going to be recording Bitcoin Veterans. I know I said this yesterday, but it didn't happen. We're doing it tonight. We'll let you know when those drop. Uh, Pacific Bitcoin is coming up. That's going to be October 5th and 6th. You can use promo code CAFE for a discount. If you're thinking about doing the VIP thing, shoot me a DM. Happy to talk to you about that. Yep, that's it. Uh, thanks to all the speakers, by the way. Jason, who came up today, and everybody else who joins us on the regular for helping us out with that. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of the show. My crew, Ant, Peter Sats for Life, Wicked, Producer Jacob, Dom Bay. I'm your host, Alex Danzig. I work with Swan. If you want to know more, shoot me a DM. I'm happy to help you. And finally, get on the mission. What the hell is that? Well, it basically means that we think that Bitcoin is the way forward. We got a couple options here. One option is not so pretty. And the other is freedom with Bitcoin. Love all you guys. Everybody have a great day today. Get out there, crush it.